If you're curious to engage with a lot of the topics we explore on the podcast in more creative and embodied ways, we welcome you to join us in Alchemize, our 10-week audio-based program of daily imagination practices intended to disrupt status quo ways of thinking, sensing, relating, and being. To be honest, without any grant support for our show right now, and we did just get turned down by several mainstream environmentalism philanthropies, this program and our Patreon are our primary means of supporting our labor for these free podcasts right now. We really want to remain untethered to corporate interests, and every small contribution to our Patreon or enrollment in our program Alchemize helps to ensure that we can continue producing these vital conversations that feature voices and perspectives often sidelined from mainstream media. So if you value our work and want to dive deeper with us, join us in Alchemize today at greendreamer.com slash alchemize and join our Patreon starting at just $3 at patreon.com slash greendreamer. Thank you so, so much for however you were able to support our work during these critical times. We are so deeply grateful. They're sweat wicking. Oh, I I really despise that marketing term. It's completely a marketing term. Sweat wicking is kind of like trying to make something that's shitty about a product sound like it's really great. What the shirt is actually doing is suffocating your skin so that you can't sweat. Why is it important for us to minimize our purchase of clothes with microplastic fibers like virgin polyester and nylon? How can we support sustainability markets to grow when conscious consumers by nature are trying to buy less? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. If you're not already following me on Instagram, you can find me there at Kamea Shane. I'll be sharing more of my ongoing learning lessons, inspirations, resources, and reminders for you to recenter because we need you to be in your best health to support this movement. I look forward to connecting there. And now to our episode. Let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is a sustainable fashion consultant and creative director passionate about supporting a regenerative and environmentally sustainable apparel industry. She does public relations, communications, and event production through her company, Ecologique Fashion. She's also the co-founder of Sustainable Fashion Alliance and is the West Coast Regional Director for Fashion Revolution. Fashion Revolution is an organization focused on improving the fashion industry, both socially and environmentally, and we had the co-founder of the organization back in episode 22. Her name's Orsola de Castro. That was definitely a super insightful conversation as well. Make sure to give it a listen if you haven't already. That's episode 22. And our guest today, I've been acquainted with her for quite a few years now. She's just so sweet and so knowledgeable on sustainability and the fashion industry. So I'm really excited for you to listen in on this conversation. Green Dreamer, starting with what inspired her passion for the environment, here's Andrea Plell. It's funny because I think about this a lot. Um, I didn't grow up in a family that was 
really uh, eco-friendly, so to speak. Um, but, I, you know, my, my path into sustainability, just like my path into this world, began with my mother. Um, I remember coming into this world a bit angst, but my mother really instilled in me a sense of deep compassion and empathy towards others. Uh, I remember her explaining to me just simple things like I should say thank you when a parent, when a friend's parent picks me up from school. Um, and she let me know that it took them extra energy to care for me on top of the responsibility they had for their own children. So just simple things like this allowed me to understand my impact on the world and gave me the consciousness later in adulthood that really helped me adapt to a more sustainable lifestyle. What was something you learned about the environment that just really drew you to it? What I learned about the environment that really drew me to it was just really being amongst it. Um, I lived in suburbia for much of my my young years, and I, I felt a little bit off. And it wasn't until I lived in a in a larger city that I just kind of felt um, really imbalanced, but I'd notice when I'd go to a park or I'd go hiking that I just felt really enriched and alive again. And so that really made an impression on me and really connected me to, um, the environment and just inspired me to want to protect it. Yeah. And then with this realization of your passion for the environment, what led you to sustainable fashion? So I wasn't in fashion at all. <laughs> and my mom will tell you when I was really young, she, uh, when she would let me dress myself, it was a little funky. <laughs> <laughs> so it was something that I definitely uh, needed to learn. Um, but I've always had an eye for aesthetic and an interest in um, just just art forms of all different kinds. So I was going to school for marketing in my early 20s. And I there... I got exposed to the dark side of the apparel industry um, because I, on the side, I was modeling for independent designers in Southern California. So in working with them, I really got a glimpse into how clothing is made and the textile waste that accumulate that that is accumulated from that. So many of the designers I was working with were upcycling. And this was such a interesting concept that I had not yet discovered um, and it showed me, you know, the importance of reusing textiles. Once I dove a little deeper, I couldn't believe that some of the favorite places that I had to shop were the very culprits that were accelerating this, this fast fashion disposable culture. So at, it was at that time that I really knew that I had to share this with my peers. So I started a blog I called Ecologic Fashion <laughs> and Really, my goal was to show people alternatives to fast fashion and to show people how beautiful, sustainable fashion it really is. And then with all of this knowledge, what led you to building a career in sustainable fashion? So at, at this moment in my life when I felt like I had finally found my purpose and, and felt like I, I really found myself and, and was able to express myself in a way that was, I felt was also contributing to something good. Um, I had this really earth shaking event happen in my personal life. I lost one of my favorite people who was also my mentor, my biggest fan. 
And this was my dad. And it was something so sudden and really unexpected and hard to, hard to even, uh, understand. So it was, um, at the beginning of 2011, um, my father committed suicide and it really threw me for a loop. I didn't understand what had happened, um, and still don't today. Um, but I only want to share this because I'm not trying to get pity from it. Um, I really want to share this because it, I, I feel inclined to do so hopefully to be relatable to other people who may be going through something similar. Um, I I want people to know it is possible to still go through grief yet be able to lead a happy life. There's this quote somewhere that says the greater the crisis, the faster the evolution or something like that. Um, although it certainly took time for me, I know that if I could make it through something so challenging, I could do anything. And it also reminded me that life is so transient and I really need to do what I need to do in life. I need to be true to myself. So at that time, I really needed to reconnect with my true path and let go of anything that didn't make sense in my life at that moment. So I quit my corporate job. I moved to San Francisco. And that was really when I started begin. I started building a sustainable fashion consulting business. Mm-hmm. And lucky for me, lucky for me, I had all my labor of love projects backed my backed by my education. And it really came in handy as a well-rounded portfolio that helped me work with clients. Um, it was really scary, but I just pushed through and there wasn't a job out there for something like this at the time. So I ended up creating the role for myself. And because of my dad's entrepreneurial spirit in my blood, I was confident enough to make to make it happen. Well, first of all, I'm sorry for your loss. I have chills like listening to you talk about this. I would love to know what kept you going in spite of this really difficult time for you and pushed you to rebuild this path for yourself. Ultimately, my dad was always the motivator in my life. He he was the one that pushed me to always invent things. And he was always encouraging me to start little businesses. Even when I was young, um, he had he had a t-shirt company. So I used to help him with that. So I think, he, you know, I, I always just have him in the back of my head. And just knowing that he would be so proud that I pushed through was something that, that really helped, helped, um, helped me get through it. It was really difficult, but it, it also, this is kind of weird too. One thing that's that people that lose a parent may be able to relate about is that when you lose a parent, it's kind of like you really question, uh, what is this world all about? Where did they go? What, where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Um, and I think also having that male role, not in your life anymore, it was really confusing, but at the same time, I realized how much of my life that I had been, um, that I had been living for my dad. I wanted to impress him. I wanted him to be proud of me. And without that added 
pressure, I was able to just listen to my own inner self much better. And my inner voice became louder and I was able to do the things that I felt I really needed to do. So you kind of combined, you took his entrepreneurial spirit and motivation forward with you and you combined this with your personal passion that you let resurface. Yeah, I did. And so you have a background in marketing. How do you think marketing was traditionally used and how can we better, how can we best use it for sustainability? Gosh, marketing was traditionally used to get people to buy stuff. And I mean, it still happens today, obviously. Um, so I, I had some trouble going to school and having this shoved down my throat. And I knew, I knew I wanted to get through it. I knew I wanted to be, you know, educated as far as to know what these marketers were drilling into our heads. I wanted, I was in the belly of the beast. <laughs> So I thought, and I wanted to really gain these skills so that I could, I could use them for something better. So I could use them for good. So I could, you know, help promote people and brands, um, that were, that were doing better for the industry. Yeah. I actually minored in marketing as well. And I feel like it was really eye opening because it helped me to see how as a consumer, like I can see past these things now, like I understand what they're trying to do to me to get me to buy things. And then I can kind of break that down to just see products for what they are instead of the messages they're trying to feed me. Totally. It's like you have this newfound filter that's super handy to use. <laughs> yeah. So how do you think we can best apply the knowledge of marketing to support sustainable products or to support sustainability? Yeah, I think that marketing can be helpful in that it, it helps you get your message out to a larger community. Um, if you put that hand in hand with more of a mentality of, of public relations and communications, I think it's really much more powerful um, because where I think just just general marketing misses out is a really enrich enriching story. Um Marketing has a lot of cliches and a lot of just shock factor. And if you have this element of really delving deep and exposing the human connection behind something, I think that that's way more impactful. Um, and, and that's really what I, I try to do every day um, with my clients' products and with my clients' projects. Yeah, so... In your bio today, it reads that you're passionate about supporting a paradigm shift in the fashion industry. What does this shift look like to you? It is <laughs> the paradigm shift that I would like to see. It's going to take some time. I feel like we have, we've built this system that just isn't working and it hasn't worked for many years and it's changing. We, the fashion industry itself relies on unfair labor. It relies on cheap materials. It relies on, you know, detrimental effects to the environment. So there's so much work that needs to be done. And it's nice to see that, you know, things are happening and, and things are changing and people are passionate about 
making the right moves to make things better. Um, you know, from the consumer side, people are getting more, more in tune with what, what they're wearing and wanting quality and demanding quality and demanding to know, you know, that there's no children making their clothes. Um, and I think the next phase of that also is what's in my clothes. How many chemicals are in this synthetic polyester top that I'm wearing? So, what I would love to see is really a regenerative system uh, in a way that we're contributing to renewable processes that are ethical and rely not on extensive virgin fibers or synthetic fibers, but you know, bringing in and recycling more of the fibers that we currently have in ways that are not um, – not affecting the environment in a negative way. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is yeah. a deep and a heavy one. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely have a long way to go, but to get us started, you know, you're contributing, you started Ecologique Fashion in 2008, which is a public relations and event production company specifically supporting ethical brands. Um, what was your biggest challenge building out this business in this specific like sustainability space? What's funny is it was, it kind of just came together for me. Um, I, I moved to San Francisco and, um, I was trying to reach out to anyone in the area who was in the sustainable fashion space. And I came across this wonderful, um, co-working and in- incubator space called the 25th street collective in Oakland. And there I met Hiroko Kurihara, who had founded the 25th Street Collective, she was super passionate about, you know, promoting a shift in the apparel industry for the better. She was helping incubate some smaller sustainable brands and designers. I think there was a milliner, a shoemaker, a knitwear designer, and um, an upcycle designer in her space when I first found it. So I meeting in meeting that community, they really gave me the opportunity to kind of dig in and, and look and see what a sustainable brand or designer needs, especially when they're small and or even mid-sized. A lot of these these people who start companies in this realm know it's a very competitive market. So they're they're really trying to keep up and they're wearing dozens of hats and to have someone come in and and be like, Hey, I want to help you. What, what can I do? It was a great, um, it was a great space for me to just kind of beta test some of the, some of the services that I wanted to put out there. And from there, you know, I was, I, I started out, you know, with marketing communications, I was doing some photography, I was doing some videos and some art direction and just helping them in any way that I could because, you know, back to that conversation about getting my marketing degree, <laughs> I was trying to use all those skills that I had gained for the better, for the positive, to, and to promote something I believed in. So it sounds like your business came very naturally together with you just starting to listen to the needs of um, people in this field. Exactly. It really, really did. And it it it's incredible how you know, when I moved to San Francisco and made that leap, everything started coming together. Everything started falling together. I started meeting all these people that really needed me. It was like, I put out to the universe, I'm going to do this. And all the puzzle pieces came in place. 
Well, I think you're being humble. You put yourself out there. You talk to these people. You listen to them, and you just try to be of service. Well, thanks. I really appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm also curious from all of these conversations. What do you think is a common struggle that a lot of these eco-driven brands face? I think you know one of the biggest struggles is expecting that everything's going to work out. Really quickly, that you're going to get a return on your investment within the first year or the second year. But just being in the in the fashion space in itself, I, I'd say it takes a good five years to really have momentum going. There's so much competition, and I don't say this to to make people uh, upset or to discourage them in any way. I think it's just if, if you're starting your company, just to go into it with with a financially sustainable plan and potentially look for funding. I mean, it's really hard to invest in your own apparel company. So connecting with people and networking and this community is so rich with passionate, passionate human beings who are like so stoked to help each other mm-hmm. and to, to, to potentially share skills with each other. So it's, it's a great space to be in. It's super supportive um, and I guess another, another, um, struggle that I've seen eco-driven brands face is, um, some of them come into the business after they've seen the true cost and they're super revved up and they're, they're excited to make this positive change and to sell, you know, this, this t-shirt that they think is going to solve all these problems and they haven't stepped back and done all their research. So it's awesome that they, you know, they're super excited to help out, but they really need to take all the steps to, to, to know that they're not contributing to all the toxicity that they're trying to avoid. Um, in, in some of my PR work, I've also been approached by brands who want to work with me and they're, um, they're promoting, you know, t- what, well, for example, t-shirts that are, hundred percent polyester and they have this great saying on them that's going to change the world. (laughs) But then I have to, you know, kindly say, Hey, thanks so much for reaching out just to let you know, you know, this is, I don't know. I just have to point them in the right direction because I know if I don't do it nicely, someone's going to do it a little more abrasively. Yeah, for sure. So I feel like a lot of people come into this space with a very pure passion to do good, but then as you mentioned, it really takes time to build this up and it can be discouraging when people start out. It's been a year, like it feels like nothing is really, they're not getting the return on investment that they're putting in. So if someone were just starting out today with an eco-venture, what, what are your top pieces of guidance in terms of what they need to stay in this for the long run and thrive? First and foremost, I would say just to make sure that you have a very thoughtfully made product and you're not adding another apparel line to the industry. Um, When I first started in 2008, there were only, I would say, like a dozen ethical brands that I really knew of. And there are just hundreds now. So instead of just jumping on the bandwagon making sure that you're that you're truly filling a void and have something that's innovative that you're bringing to the conversation. Um, another thing too is equipping yourself with beautiful photography mm-hmm. <laughs> and just kind of like a creative content plan, I think is huge, especially, 
in the day of, you know, Instagram and just an aesthetic heavy industry fashion, it really needs to be beautiful and the craftsmanship and the beauty of it really needs to shine through first before the sustainable message. And, you know, three is just making sure that you're getting out there and networking with people and meeting people within the community and letting them know what you're doing. Um, you know, as I mentioned, this community is super supportive and that's kind of, that's kind of how I'm, I am where I am now. And I'm constantly happy to refer people to other people. And it's, it's been a really awesome journey in that my visibility in the last 10 years of just seeing the direction of the market and seeing how things have grown has given me the advantage of being able to know what's going on in the sustainable fashion space. And, you know, if someone's needs to solve a problem or someone needs to, you know, find a natural design, natural dyer that can scale natural dyes. Like I can, I can point them in the direction of that person or I can help, help them in some way. And so when you are networking constantly and in, in this community space, you're getting referrals to people that can help you. And yeah. I think collectively we all are trying to push the momentum forward and, and lift each other up because our, our main purpose and mission is, is to ignite change. For sure. And it sounds like you recognizing the importance of supporting each other and of building community. Um, it sounds like that's what partly inspired you co-founding Sustainable Fashion Alliance. Most definitely. Most definitely. So yeah, I, I co-founded Sustainable Fashion Alliance with a couple of my colleagues that are amazingly talented women. Um, Joyce Hu and Brooke McEver. So together we kind of <laughs> make this cool triad of um, we Joyce and I have more of the communications, marketing, PR side, and Brooke brings in this awesome sustainable uh, supply chain management experience. Mm -hmm. So together we've we've been really successful in just gauging what is needed in the market, what are the problems, how can we how can we fix this, how can we design a better supply chain model and how can we connect people with sustainable sourcing or, you know, help them with their business strategies. So it's been, it's been great to have a really solid foundation in, in our founders. For sure. I feel like a dilemma that I'm kind of seeing is that conscious consumers in this space by nature, they're already trying to reduce their needs and trying to buy less. So how do you think we can support eco brands and just the sustainability market to grow when consumers who are already in this space are trying to buy less? That's such a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, it's definitely tricky, but it's attainable. I think just adopting this mindset of buying less and buying better. And when you do buy new to support sustainable brands or to support secondhand, um, it's hard though. It's, mm -hmm. this is a really yeah. tricky well, do, do you think on the, do you think on the flip side, um, like conscious fashion or conscious fashion or lifestyle brand or business owners 
also face this conflict where they aren't as comfortable with trying to sell their products because in their minds, they know that they also are trying to promote like buying less in addition to buying better. Yeah, I think we're always going to need clothing. We're always going to need some of these products. So I don't think that that's going to go away. The demand for them is not going to go away. I can see there being somewhat of a conflict when a brand is promoting, you know, buy less, but wait, I need to, you know, make my bills. It's <laughs> great, great clothes that I would love for you guys to support. Um, yeah, it's tricky, but I think they still, they still are um, representing a very important part of the market that needs to be there. We we need to have access to products that are that are better for us, better for our bodies, better for the environment. So I don't see a conflict there. And just the fact that a brand can stand up and say, hey, please buy less. And when you do decide to make a purchase, if you could support, you know, my eco-friendly zero waste apparel line, that would be wonderful. And I guess... Another part of it would be to expand the market, as in, like, get more people to go from just being a consumer to being a conscious consumer. Exactly. And I think just putting a message out there brings this human connection to the space where you're like, hey, I'm a person, you're a person, I care about you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So having been in this space for so long, what do you think is one of our biggest sustainability issues from the industry today? I would say... I think there's probably a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot. I, I think like my top three, um, you know, I think water is a huge issue. Um, you know, China is the largest supplier of apparel to the U.S. And 70% of their waterways are contaminated by wastewater from the textile and dye industry. Mm. That's huge. And there's all these tanneries, um, there's in, in Camper, India, for example, there's 400 tanneries that are just dumping toxic chromium into the water. Ugh. And it's ending up in people in, in the agriculture, in the food. So people are eating, eating these chemicals. And along with that, you know, I'm, I'm really a big proponent of, of natural fibers because of the bio, the biodegradability and, we just have simply too many synthetics in the market. 65% of the fabrics that are used in apparel today are made from polyester. And polyester is made through a chemical reaction that involves coal and petroleum. So essentially, when we wear polyester, we're wearing petroleum or plastics on our body. And so, I don't know, that it just poses a huge issue for me to know that there's there's people walking around and wearing these quote unquote uh, performance grade fabrics that are micro uh, no what is it they're sweat wicking oh mm-hmm. I I really despise that marketing term it's completely a marketing term sweat wicking is kind of like trying to make something that's shitty about a product sound like it's <laughs> really great it's all marketing. <laughs> It really is. So yeah, sweat wicking, what what the shirt is actually doing is suffocating your skin so that you can't sweat. (laughs) Our our bodies naturally discharge like a pound of toxins per day. And so when when we're wearing fabrics like polyester, nylon, and acrylic, 
and a lot of our clothing now has elastane in it because we, we like it stretchy, it restricts the release of these toxins. So there's the health side of it too. And that's much more direct to aware because we have these issues like tanneries in India, the water pollution in China, those feel very distant. So I feel like a lot of people don't feel a sense of urgency to buy better. But this thing about synthetics on their impacts on our, our health, that feels a lot more direct. <laughs> Definitely. And just a just an overall overconsumption problem like we were tapping into before about buying less. I mean, the, um, each American sends, I think it's like 82 pounds of textile waste to landfill each year. So much. And we're constantly being marketed to, you know, that we need to have this latest trend or we need to buy into this latest look. And the reality is, on average, most most women are only using 20% of their closets. And there's this huge mis- misperception with donating your clothes, too, because a lot of people are like, oh, I'll just, you know, kind of recycle, I'll get new stuff. And I'll send the rest to Goodwill or charity shop. But in reality, those shops are only selling about 10 to 20% of the clothing they, they get. And 80% of them are discarded to landfill or incinerated. Yeah. And the rest are, you know, sold to, to Africa who they don't want our clothes anymore. Yeah. Other countries are like, please stop piling it on us. Yeah. So taking this perspective or knowing this, keeping this in mind, it really doesn't make much sense to have synthetic clothing because most of them will end up in landfills. Mm-hmm. And I think we can currently, there's only 1% um, of synthetic fibered fabrics that are being recycled or able to be recycled right now. So, I mean, hopefully in the future that will happen, but then not to add another brick to this thing right now or not to add another (laughs) difficult thing what am I saying um but then there's also you know the the issue with washing synthetics Mm -hmm. because every time you wash a polyester garment 1900 fibers microfiber particles are released and end up in our waterways so a lot of times you know there's there's these great companies that are taking plastics out of the ocean and making them into products, but then we're washing those products and the microparticles are going back <laughs> into the ocean. <laughs> so there's some rethinking yeah. happening as well. Well, what's next for you that we can look forward to and support? I'm super excited about um, all the things that we have going on for the Sustainable Fashion Alliance. And we are opening up new services for small, medium-sized brands where we're doing this program where we're pulling different services. So let's say you're a brand and you don't have a lot of money and you want to do like PR outreach. We've designed some, some different services where you and five other brands can come together and split the cost of a quarterly PR pitch or things like creative content for photo shoots. Um, So we're doing programs around that. We're also um, putting on different workshops to help small businesses with just strategy and also peer review with websites and different things like this. Um, So SFA is, we have about 200 members and they're all sustainable brands. And what, what we feel in the market is really just this camaraderie 
coming together in somewhat of a dark industry to keep each other going because we're really a team all together, globally. All the people in this fight are, are a team and a community. And so when we come together, we're able to kind of pat each other on the back and say, hey, you're doing good, keep, keep doing what you're doing. So that's, so that's super exciting. So many exciting things. Where can we go to follow your work online and on social media? You can follow my personal journey at Ecologic Fashion on Instagram. It's E-C-O-L-O-G-I-Q Fashion. And please follow us at Sustainable Fashion Alliance and check out our website, sustainablefashionalliance.com. Before we go into our final five, I wanted to let you know, we recently confirmed that we'll be giving away a compostable smartphone case to three randomly selected subscribers to our newsletters. These cases will be from Pila Case. The founder actually shared his expertise on Green Dreamer podcast back in episode 19. And I personally have been using Pila Case on my phone for more than three years, and I don't foresee needing to change it anytime soon. So I love it. I think you'll too. Make sure to sign up at Green Dreamer with your email so I can let you know if you've won. Besides that, you'll also receive weekly Sunday emails from me with highlights from the podcast. I hope to catch you there. And for now to our final five, let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or social media account you follow? I, I really love Sarah Corbet of the Craftivist Collective follow the craftivist collective. Um, she's awesome because she's really about mindful activism and she's also an introvert and I love following what she's doing. Um, what do you tell yourself to stay positive and inspired? I tell myself you are the key to your own perception of life. (laughs) (laughs) So deep. (laughs) So look on the bright side. I mean, everyone can have a bad day and look, look around them and say, gosh, everything sucks. Why? And then they're tripping over things on the way to work and just everything starts collapsing on them. But when you just slow down and focus on the smallest, beautiful things, even just your breath, mm-hmm. <laughs> then you really, you know, you become more grateful and, and you start seeing rose colored glasses. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What's one must do for your health, either daily or weekly? Um, daily, I take two lovely walks with my two lovely dogs mm-hmm. down by the Napa River. Um, there's a really great park down there. So I get away. I unglue from the computer and do that, do that twice a day. And then when I can, I like to do at least once a month. I like to get an acupressure foot massage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, what's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? Before you buy something new, see if you can find a second hand. Um, what makes you most hopeful for a planet right now? This community and our capacity for compassion. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? Slow down and be mindful of yourself. It's okay to take a break, even in this fast-paced world. Unplug and take a hike or get outside and take a breath and just enjoy your life. Slow down, 
take a breath and remember to enjoy your life. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview, as well as links and resources at greendreamer.com slash 67 for episode 67. You can reach me with feedback on how I can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And again, you can follow me on Instagram at Chain. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.